the Brand Herald podcast, where leaders explore how great brands are built. Join Landon Wade, owner of Goodson Clothing and Supply Company, as he interviews business leaders and marketing experts to learn about the successes and failures of building great brands. One last thing, the views and opinions shared by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're live, and uh, I am excited. Uh, I just told him that I've been working on speaking slower, so I'm going to slow down as much as I can. Um, excited to have Megan and Patrick Morris here with me. Uh, they are the owners of Little House Green Grocery. I'm going to say the website. We'll say it again at the end, littlehousegreengrocery.com. And uh, first and foremost, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. It's great to be here. So I was sharing a little bit with you both in in the beginning, just like why why we do these episodes and why I think this episode in particular is important. And so just to give people uh, kind of an overview of what they're going to hear in the next you know thirty minutes or so. Um, the the idea here is to do conversations with customers and and to build deeper relationships with them as a result, and also to learn ways that we can get better. Um, ultimately, trying to improve the customer experience that we provide. Now, recently. We've also expanded that to try to start to reach out and more broadly focus on brand, which, Megan, you've got a lot of experience with marketing, so we can touch on that kind of stuff, too. But I'm also going to start reaching out over time to um, folks that aren't necessarily customers, but that might be you know, thought leaders in, in brand, because I constantly feel like brand is one of the most misunderstood things out there that people talk about. I think if you ask 10 people to define it, you'll get nine different, you know, 10 different def- definitions. I think people constantly have brands they like and don't like, and they really can't explain why and on and on. I just, um, I think it's just a topic that is so people think it's very un- well understood, and I think it's not. And so this is a way for us to try to continue to just get lots and lots of different perspectives on that. Um, but before we get going, what I would like, oh, and the final thing too, is just to demonstrate, which I explained, Megan and I have known each other for a while. We work together in a few different of her capacities, which we'll talk about. And I think that that's another reason that I like this episode a lot. We're going to talk specifically about a little thing that they're doing uh, in Richmond, Virginia called Little House Green Grocery. But then we'll also touch on some some larger things that they're doing. And I think it speaks to the value of relationship and, and hopefully the relationship that you know Megan and I built. We'll talk a little bit about COVID because that's when it kind of That'd be an interesting little part of it. But I've talked enough. I really would like you to, to first and foremost, just tell uh, the listeners about yourselves. Yeah, so I can get started. Um, so Patrick and I met in 2019. Um, we started, I moved to Richmond in 2019. And we actually met three weeks later and started dating. <laughs> so we've had wow. one few years, but... Um, very early on, we realized that we both had this mutual love for business and entrepreneurship. Um, So those conversations started way back when our relationship did. And so as our relationship developed, so did these conversations. And, um, you know, once it became, oh, we're, you know, getting married. We're going to build a life together. It went from these ideas of like, oh, I enjoy this. And, you know, this is something we're both interested in to dreaming about, well, what could that become in reality? And so that has, um, over time morphed for us. And we realized the things that were truly important to us were community 
um, serving our community well, uh, figuring out how do we create something that's really great um, business-wise, thinking through the different components of finance and marketing. And um, yeah, we, we just had these dreams and this checklist of what that could look like. And um, so one day Patrick gets this email. He was <laughs> subscribed to an email list from a local broker who would send out opportunities um, that just said somewhere in Virginia, there is this little market that's for sale um, that had this community focus. It was um, a sustainable business, a green business, something that we were, it, it kind of just sounded like something we would both be interested in. And so uh, he's jokingly. It was like they of, were listening to your conversation. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was so funny. And they, uh, yeah, as we were reading this, he sent it to me jokingly saying like, well, do you want to buy a little market somewhere in Virginia? This kind of sounds like what we've been talking about. And I read it and I thought, oh my goodness, this sounds like the market that is in our backyard in our neighborhood. And so I prompted him to sign the non-disclosure and he, in his mind, he's thinking, no way, it's just somewhere in Virginia. This is not going to be the one in our backyard. Um, lo and behold, it was the one in our backyard. So I'll let you take it from How about that. Yeah. So I, um, forwarded to Megan just, I mean, truly as a joke, like, Hey, want to buy a grocery store? She's like, Patrick, I think this is the one in our neighborhood. And in my pride and in my hubris, I was like, no, there's no way that it's actually this one. That's a five minute walk from our house. So I signed the non-disclosure and then lo and behold, it was little house green grocery, which was five minutes from our house. And so you know, we'd been, we were customers, we we knew the store, as Megan said, it, it checked all the boxes of, it had a real local community focus. Um, we really wanted to do something that um, we could use to love our communities. And um, Richmond is, I, I don't know if it's unique in this way, but there is a real emphasis on local neighborhood. Um, you know, people are really passionate about what part of the city they live in, whether it's Bellevue or the North side or the fan or the museum or West end. Like there are kind of all these little pockets. And within that, there are also all these little grocery stores and markets. And so we just thought it was a really unique opportunity. Um, Megan had some experience working in kind of startup uh, food service businesses, you know, a coffee shop and an ice cream parlor, if I remember that correctly. My, my first job when I was 15, I bagged groceries and I worked through it throughout all of high school. So I knew a little bit about the grocery industry. And so it was kind of one where it's like, okay, I, I think we could maybe slowly figure this out is, you know, if we, uh, if we purchased it. And so long story short, we uh, kind of negotiated the acquisition process. I have a finance background so that, you know, due diligence, underwriting, all of those things I was reasonably familiar with. And so we just kind of navigated that and made an offer uh, once we felt comfortable and we really felt called like this was something that we should do and um, it got accepted. And then we really began the process of actually buying it. And then after the sale closed, then running it. And then we've been doing that for almost exactly two years now. So two thoughts. One is now I know who I'm going to call if I want to buy something, uh, <laughs> if I need some advice. Um, the other question I have is, and you know, to whatever degree you're comfortable, because I'm always curious, because there's always a difference between what you pay for something and how you pay for it. And so, like, 
was this a situation where they had a price and they wanted everything up front and you had to figure out how to fund that all at once? Or is it more of an overtime? I mean, I'm being as vague as I can, but maybe just, and obviously this is not, not necessarily on topic, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah, no, I'm, we're happy to talk about that. Um, so fortunately, um, the business had been around for, I think, seven years before we bought it. It had, you know, a, a steady you know, stream of revenue and profit. And so in most small business acquisitions, um, usually a broker will have it pre-approved for an SBA loan, the Small Business Administration. So it's, in some ways, it's kind of like buying a house where you have to put, you know, you agree on a purchase price that, um, you know, the buyer and seller and the bank are all comfortable with and they think represents the value. And then you'll have to put down some percent. I mean, you can go, you know, as high as 50%, sometimes as low as 10% of the actual purchase price. And then you pay it down like a mortgage over a period of time, usually somewhere between like seven to 10 years. Um, 10 is usually the maximum. Sometimes banks will require a little less than that, but that's kind of the mechanics of buying a small business. Yeah. In it's interesting. Did So it's, um, did you guys get a building with it or are they leasing their space? Yes, we lease it. We're leasing it. Um, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so it's just yeah, the operating. That's a whole yeah. other part of the process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. no, I, I'm sure. Yeah. No, it's, I think that's more just a personal curiosity. I mean, as a matter of fact, again, odd tangent here, but I, recently I was looking at a couple of businesses to purchase and purchasing businesses in our space is really weird because, well, I think purchasing a business, especially at the small and mid-sized level is always weird because people are like buying a house. They're always so emotionally invested in what the value of something, you know, so they, they see value through their eyes, not mine. It's probably the best way to, to mm-hmm. say it. They don't think about it. Like if I were buying my own business. Um, and so like in our, in our business, it's, there are no contracts for the most part. There's very few contracts. It's mostly customer relationships. People are a phone call away from buying somewhere else. So to buy, you know, a company in our space is really just establishing an arrangement or an agreement with somebody who has a bunch of relationships that they think they can transfer. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. and, and that's just not terribly valuable, especially not if that person wants to go do something else. Um, and yet I think that things like shark tank and other things have just convinced people that if they have a business, then somehow it has some lump sum value. And it's, it's hard to tell a person who's worked 20 years on something that it, it has very little value, you know, and, and I'm a realist, so I know, you know, no matter what my business is doing, it's still to this day is a business that only has value if I'm around, or at least has most of its value if I'm around. And not because I'm great, but because it just I'm the one that knows all the customers, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and we're actively working to change that. So um, really quick, don't let me forget, after we stop recording, there is something locally here that I want to see if you're interested in carrying. Uh, it may not be a product that aligns well with what you guys are doing, but but try not to let me forget that. So, oh, great. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Um, um, so just a little bit of background um, to what they shared. You know, Megan and I, Megan, I don't, I can't remember. You got to correct me on this. Are you originally from here, from Louisville or you were not, right? Or So I'm from Nashville, but Nashville, I yeah. lived in Louisville for five years and that's where we met. Yeah. So to drill home the point of relationship, Megan and I worked together at a company here in Louisville for um, I I had notes that it started right around 2018 until about late 2019, which is, I think, when you moved, if I'm recalling that right around that time frame. And then 
didn't really talk to her much for a period of time. She got settled in at the position that she moved to Richmond for and then sort of reached out to me and said, hey, I think there might be an opportunity here. Uh, in fact, the guy that she introduced me to has since become a close friend and we do a lot of business with him and love him to death. He's one of my favorite and they're one of our biggest customers. So it's just the best of both worlds. And I owe all that to Megan. I, I mean, I, and I never want to forget to point that out. Um, but then I remember we were talking about a huge event that they were going to be putting on in June of 2020. And we were working on clothing and uh, we had like all the T's crossed and I's dotted and then everybody knows what happened in March of 2020, and it just went away, and it was really, really crazy. Um, and then I think it looks like we started working together kind of in October of 21 with some Little House Green Grocery stuff. So I provide that as just the background, and again, the point I think is just it's just interesting to see these relationships that are orchestrated and how, you know, we have always tried, and I train our people and try to talk to our people about, please don't ever get caught up in this idea that, you expend effort on an opportunity based on the size of that opportunity. If we say yes to something and we build a relationship with someone, we need to do our part to follow through with the same amount of energy and intensity. If it's a thousand dollar order, if it's $10,000, it doesn't matter. And I have seen, I I've been doing this longer than I care to admit since like 2004, I have seen time and time again, relationships come back in different ways um, to prove that if you're just faithful in the small things, I mean, again, just kind of a spiritual reference, then it, it really it doesn't always pay off. But there are many instances where it does. Um, it's so and I'm grateful that for that. Say that because um, it, it's just now occurring to me that you and I have worked together in every sort of capacity, whether that's our small business or a mid-range company or your one of your bigger accounts. Um, yeah it's funny to hear how that one relationship has kind of transcended all of those things. And we worked backwards. We are now working in the smallest capacity with you. (laughs) I know it's good. Um, So, okay. So this is where I, the last thing I like to do kind of of in the personal side of things is uh, just some fun questions. And then we'll move on to start talking about uh, little house green grocery. And I want you both to answer. So first question is what is your coffee house drink? I should say coffee shop drink. Sorry. Ooh. I know mine. It's very easy. Yeah, mine is seasonal. I love a chai tea in the winter. Um, I love a spicy, warm drink. Um, I am a big fan of the pink drink at Starbucks in the summer. I'm, <laughs> I'm not ashamed to do that. <laughs> My girls love that. Yeah. How about you, Patrick? Yeah, I am a very simple iced coffee drinker. Just black. And that's about it. Love it. Well, you and I, you and I would get along well because you want to know what mine is. Was I got introduced to the americano, which, mm-hmm. as I understand it, is just a few shots of espresso with hot water, right? And Brett Cavanaugh who works for us. He's the one who kind of introduced me to it, and I just, yeah. So that's kind of been what I get lately. But yep, black coffee. Um, how about that? Simple. I feel like when I go to Starbucks and I order a black coffee, they look at me like, "Why are you here?" <laughs> It's That's really like, true. It's funny. It, Starbucks is built for the people like me in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I walk up and I'm like, they're like, what can I get for you? I'm like a black coffee. And they're going, and, and I'm like, That's it. Like, yeah, no, no room. Cream. No. Nope. <laughs> All right. Next one. You have three hours to yourself. What do you do? Ooh. Do you have an answer? That's a tough one. 
I rarely happens. It rarely happens. I am likely to go grab a good book and a good drink and try to find a quiet place. If it's nice outside, it's going to be outside reading with a glass of wine. If that's, if it's a, it's either on my couch from, or from little house green grocery, of course. Oh, always, yeah. always. always. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I would say for me, three hours, I think it kind of like Megan, it would probably depend on the weather time of day, all that stuff. I love a good book. I think if like the weather was nice and like my calendar was free and clear, I may go to the driving range. I don't do that very often. I love to play golf. I just don't get out very much. But yeah, those are like cool. Those kind of comes to mind immediately. Yeah, maybe go on a walk a or get outside. Well, the theme is outside. That's what I'm hearing. Is you guys love being outside? We do. We love do. Being outside. Yeah, we love going on long walks. I think for us, our our lives are so busy at the moment that you're probably going to hear a lot of like, oh, if we can get away to quiet and read or walk yeah. and enjoy nature, I think that's probably where we would both land. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Okay, Absolutely. let's move to talking about Little House Green Grocery. So I know you guys recently acquired it, but tell me, just give me kind of the history. Uh, we might have touched on it a little bit earlier, but maybe go a little bit deeper about the history of it um, and then just kind of give me a snapshot of it, uh, kind of where it stands today. Yeah, so the original idea for Little House Green Grocery, um, as much as we understand it, was uh, it came from the idea of the person who started it worked with the farmers markets here in town. And so the idea was essentially to take that concept and put brick and mortar to it so that your yeah, local make it more permanent. Yeah. So, I mean, you think about all the amazing things that you see at the farmer's market. If you can get those things any day of the week, that's incredible. I mean, so we've really taken that concept and built upon it. Um, I think there was a huge community focus. I think one of the things that drew us to it, in fact, was that we not only got to love and serve our community being our neighbors that are shopping there, but we're also loving and serving the greater community in Richmond and Virginia and our region um, by bringing in these artisans and makers and creators and giving them a home to be able to sell their goods um, and products. And so uh, it's kind of this twofold service that we get to do. And I think both of us just really love that idea. Um, so in reality, <laughs> we, <laughs> we have something like 80 different vendors that we work with. And it is no easy feat to juggle farmers alongside candle makers, alongside your, you know, we've got some bigger vendors that are going to bring in our staple items because we don't just sell, we're not hyper-local. Um, we're also there to serve the greater community. So, you know, if you're looking for your bag of flour on the weekend because you forgot to get it at the grocery store, you're still going to be able to find it at our store. But um, our bread and butter no pun, intended. Intended. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended. Yeah, it's always it going to be local, <laughs> local products and local vendors that we can elevate and lift up and celebrate. And mm -hmm. um, two, two really quick questions. I'm yeah. That are, how big is the store, and about how many total SKUs? <sighs> total SKUs. I mean, that's the yeah. part that freaks me out anytime I think about a business like this. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, the the total score store, like our square footage is extremely small, like, you know, office, uh, 
the pantry, our, our walk-in fridge, kind of the actual storefront is only 1,600 square feet. And, you know, our actual like place where customers go is probably right around 1,000 square feet, if not even a little under that. And then yeah. total SKUs, it kind of, you know, there's a ton of seasonality to that because we'll have things that we only carry in the winter and things we don't carry in the summer. Sure. So, I, you know, at the store at any given time, it's probably right around 1500 but net total we probably have 2500 SKUs that kind of rotate in and out but like kind of a core of 1500 so the reason i ask that is if i'm listening to this episode my immediate thought is i'm trying to get a sense if i can't see i'm trying to get a sense of the size of the store so it's like sounds to me like it's you know sort of about the size of a ranch home like a standard like pretty small ranch house you know to give people a sense so i think if you've ever been to a New York corner market, or if you've ever been to Europe, the idea was kind of built upon these um, very local, quick shop, tiny spaces. Um, so we're not going to have all of the brands that you like or desire. We might have a brand that we have selected as what we think is just a really quality option for you. Um and yeah, so like as the take the example of flour, you'd be like, I'm not carrying nine different types of flour. We right, feel like this is the right. best flour. And and again, it's it's targeting a particular kind of customer. Like if it's the person walking in wanting flour that they could buy at Kroger's or the like, they're probably not probably know, not us. Not yeah. We yeah. we always say our pillars are local, um clean uh-huh. quality, local quality and clean are our top three, and then followed by convenient. Um so we tried to find products that hit at least three of those four pillars. And if they do, that's kind of our litmus test for what makes it on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Got it. So that's a beautiful transition, Megan, into the next question, which is uh, just talking about the brand. So like, you know, this goes to the conversation you and I had. And one of the broader focuses long term for this podcast is to talk about brand and to try to figure out through lots and lots of conversations, um, you know, what, what is brand and how do you define it? I think I mentioned to you guys in the lead in, like, I think it's a thing that if you ask 10 people, you're going to get 10 different, you know, answers. I think people generally like certain brands. They dislike brands. They really can't articulate why sometimes, you know, everybody's familiar with that book, Start With Why by Simon Sinek, which is, you know, sort of like we do business with people of like mind. So with all that as the backdrop and the fact that you just touched on sort of these, these, you know, local quality, clean, convenient qualities, or values that you hold or what you look for in products to carry. Um, tell me a little bit about how you would define the, the, the brand for the store. Oh, yeah. You know, to me, brand is um, so much more than a logo or a label. I think uh, that can be such a common misconception. I, you know, brand to me is your core convictions being played out in reality. How are you um, representing the products, the people, the store, how are you projecting yourself into the community? So for us, a huge part of that is culture. Um, And that is something that we probably talked about more with our brand than anything is what is the culture that we're creating? How are we inviting people in? How are we loving people? Well, Um, you know, for us as Christians too, there's a really important component to that of like, how are we just, yeah. How are we putting our name out there? How are we representing ourselves? How are we training our employees to care for people, to see people, to serve people? Um, how are we bringing people in as vendors and saying, no, we want to create space for you. And 
So yeah, brand is a lot of things, but um, for us, the thing that we talked about probably more than anything was culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we've got those core pillars, but that I think for us really was transcended by this idea of like, who are we? Who are we to the community? Who are we in relationship? How are we executing this to its fullest potential? Yeah, because I think a, a big focus of ours really is like, I mean, I would, I, you know, unfortunately, and I wish I could, I, I, we don't know exactly where all of our customers come from, but I would say something like 85 to 90% of them live within like a mile and a half radius of the store. And so, you know, we feel like we're very much a, a kind of a part of the community. I wouldn't say we're in a food desert. Like, you know, there's some grocery, some other larger national grocery stores that are close by, but we're very much like the the local dependable option. And so what we always really try and do is, is love our customers and serve them really well, whether that's, you know, and to Megan's point about culture, like greeting folks when they come in, we have an employee who on his own volition and it's just something that I think we're all trying to do now. Like he would very graciously like walk customers to the door because the distance between the register and the front door that customers come in and out of, it's like, it's 20 feet. And he'll just, you know, he started doing it as, you know, kind of one off, like, oh, if people's hands were full, like, hey, let me go get the door for you. And when he started doing it, it was like, man, like we should always do that. Like open the door for our customers if their hands are full or like tell them to have a nice day. So I think in that, like that, that point of culture is really trying to to serve our community well and and carry the things that they want and need um, as best as we're able to keep our shelf stocked. To uh, you know, know that if someone calls ahead and saying like, "Hey, like, you know, I, I there's we carry like local bagels that uh, a local bakery makes, and they're like, "Hey, like, do you have this?" You know, it's like, "Oh, well, we have one," you know. And they're like, okay, like I can be there in three minutes. Is it okay if you hold it for me? It's like, yeah, we can do that. So I, th- I think we're always trying to instill a culture of like love and respect and care for the people around us. And, and that really, yeah, and dependability. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I think, it, I think no, this conversation can be in a million different directions. <laughs> Absolutely. So I don't know yeah. if that's a helpful, you know, I, no, I think it's, I don't know. I would say it's very helpful because. Again, I think I shared with you like the way that I talk to our marketing guy all the time is I'm like, look, the, the high level goal of everything we do, the objective, our marketing objective is to communicate the personality of our company. And yeah, I, it's a weird tie in. But like I always found it fascinating. I go to church on Sunday mornings and I cannot sing. And yet when we all sing together, it's actually it actually sounds pretty good. And yeah, that always yeah. fascinated me. It is like. Most of the people in that room cannot sing. The people that can, the three or four of them or whatever, have microphones. Um, (laughs) But yet, collectively, it sounds great. And I think, so my point with that is, like, you take a company of any size, eight employees you have, we have have seven, we we touch about 12 people because we have some contractors. But it's, you have to define sort of that personality, and then it becomes like this collection. I mean, we all have individual brands, which is funny. I mean, people perceive us in certain ways as individuals. And then you get this sort of collective perception is kind of what it comes down to. And, you know, I think the hard part a lot of times is companies really don't know, just like a lot of people don't know who they are. They don't really know who they are. They just know that they wake up and, you know, do certain types of business and they always have. And, you know, so I think that that whole process of like 
trying to determine the personality of a company and then how to communicate it is it fascinates me um, yeah. because a, because I've had to come to grips with the fact that I don't really know sometimes like, and I think that's then when you filter down to like the local, the quality, the clean, convenient, or like our, what we would call our core values is our attempt to put science around this vague notion of what's our personality. And the very, you know, the next thing you try to do is try to, well, okay, then what are those attributes? Cause I would do the same thing as a person or as a Christian. Like we want to be known for loving other people, serving other people, um, those kind of things. And, um, but there's a lot of alignment. Like when I hear you guys talk about what you're wanting people to feel like when they come out of your stores, the same exact same thing that we want people to feel when they work with us. I mean, we don't have a, we don't have a store, but I tell our people a lot and like we had a, um, you know, I've made some mistakes on bringing people into the company over time and not because there's problems with those people. It's because I haven't made sure that there was alignment on a couple of things. And I just had an uh, interview like a week ago and I said, there's a couple of things. I'm like, one, you have to love the customer. I, and I, I can't think of any other way to say it. You've got to love them. You got to have a hospitality mindset of like, I am just fiercely interested in a great customer experience. You don't always have to like them, but you got to love them. And, and then yeah. I said, and you got to be intensely focused on responsiveness. Like I'm talking like it, I can't think of any other way to explain that either. I tell people there has to be an intensity around it. And I find a lot of people don't necessarily have that. And I said, now, if you have those things, we can probably teach you the rest. Um, so it sounds like, I mean, you guys are similar. I mean, in what, how you want people to feel when they come in and out of the store. Yeah. Yeah. I think for us, I think another big piece of that, that we decided on really early and we just kind of felt was important was, um, that has to be practiced internally before we expect our employees to go externally with that brand. So that brand starts with us. It starts with us um, teaching or um, interacting with our employees a certain way, treating them a certain way, loving them a certain way. Um, It's a top-down service and leadership that we hope that we are practicing. We're not going to expect anything from our employees that we're not doing ourselves. And so, yeah, I think that culture for us, that conversation really had to start with who are we, what do we want, what do, what expectations do we have from our internal culture? How are we presenting that well and living that out? And then knowing that from there, we should be able to have those expectations of that being projected outwards. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I did an episode really quick. I did an episode with a guy named Jamie Watts who owns a company called Hexhead Art. They're here in town. They make like um, wall art for sports logos. So like a college logos, like if you want the University of Virginia logo made out of multiple layers of metal, it's, it's, it's a really super cool business if you want to look it up. But he said the exact same thing to me in the episode that he is huge on that his brand starts inside the walls. Yeah. And yeah. That to me is another example of like a thing that I think we all sort of know. Like, I don't think that there's necessarily anything earth shattering in saying that, but it's another example of something that we rarely do. Like most companies don't do that. They have a very different internal culture than, and then they have a very, you know, this external culture they want to portray. But, um, and I have to say, I would be guilty of that at times that I haven't always prioritize the internal culture here to be reflective of the external. And frankly, it is something that like, even in just my own, I guess, walk, spiritual journey, whatever, is something I've been being, I know I've been, been, been being worked on 
a lot over the last year is to turn that focus internal. Um, so that's awesome. I think that's, I mean, that's a huge point. Matter of fact, I wrote down, if I ever write a book, it's going to be called Love Your Customer from the Inside Out. Oh, I like that. I, like that. I would really read that. <laughs> like that sounds like a seminar. I could be paid a lot more probably going around talking about that kind of stuff. But now that's good. Really good. Okay. Um, tell me about, I know that we have done, um, I wrote it down. We started working in late 21. We did some t-shirts for your staff. Um, we then did a candle. It was like a concrete candle. It was pretty cool. Was a, I think that was a Christmas gift. And then last year we, yeah, we worked on some um, tote bags and then some coffee mugs. So we've done a handful of things, but what I'm curious about, and I realize that the needs that you have, Megan, now, uh, it's very tied to what's possible with the store. You know, both of you have it, it. What 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 does the store need versus maybe what you needed in some of the previous roles where we worked together? But tell me a little bit about your view of like just the stuff that we do, branded clothing and promotional items, and their role in building a brand. And ultimately, like Patrick, the things that like you got, like how is it supportive of creating the type of experience that you guys want to create? Like, does it matter if that guy's wearing a little little house green grocery t-shirt when he walks into the door? You know, things like that. Yeah. Um, well, one, you know, I think with our brands, uh, we are the local business that Richmond loves. And so it is funny because Richmond does love local so much. Um, it's cool to see people wanting to wear our logo around. We gave all of our employees those t-shirts and not all of them wear them. We don't expect it. Um, but to like give people the option to say, no, I want to support Little House Green Grocery. I want something that represents that brand. It's a really cool thing that mm-hmm. people actually want to buy into that and have a piece of that with them. So I think that's part of it. Um, the other thing that I think has been so cool in our partnership with you, Landon, is uh, it came to mind last year that we had this unique opportunity to partner with you and elevate our local artists. Mm-hmm. So we actually had a local artist. He works at our store. We love him <laughs> to death. <laughs> um, but we had him design some things for the store where we got to elevate his art and put it on your products. And then it was just this That's marriage awesome. of local and us being able to put stuff out there into the world that was still really achieving our goals of mm-hmm. um, letting people know who Mark is, letting people understand a little bit better who Little House Green Grocery is. And so it's been a really cool thing for us to create something that is a little bit different than, you know, just putting a logo on something. Um, yeah. yeah. Cause I think it really does speak to that personalized touch of us trying to think through and Megan ran with so many of these, like, okay, what do we need? What do our customers need? How can we, you know, figure this out and not just send like a, a really basic, like, Hey, here's our logo. We want it on an 11 by 17 bag and we need 200 of them. It's like, well, like what can this actually look like? And, you know, what will be kind of the best possible product? And, I think it was really great that y'all were able to to collaborate on that and figure it out. And it's just, to Megan's point, I mean, it's just really fun to see customers walk in, you know, with a branded bag or a t-shirt or buy a coffee mug and, you know, just express their, in some ways, like loyalty, allegiance. Uh, I, I think maybe the best word is probably partnership with us because 
a lot of those folks, they're not just our customers, they're our neighbors and you know, they're people we see regularly and have gotten to know or our employees have really gotten to know. And so I think just that kind of physical reminder of that real partnership is always a really sweet thing. One of the things that makes me think of is kind of where Simon Sinek in that book talked about that people like to that they like brands to say something about themselves, essentially <laughs> like that. And so what that I think what that shows me is that what you guys are doing with the store it it's something that people are in alignment with and agreement with. And they, therefore then they feel like by, by having the coffee mug or wearing the shirt or whatever it is that they're, they're cool with people understanding it. They're aligned with your values. I mean, that's really what it comes down to is that, you know, them wearing that shirt says something about them, which means they're agreeing with the things that you guys are, you know, find to be important. And to me, that's like, that's the ultimate branding victory at, at that point. You get people going around and, and wearing your stuff and you're not like, a retail brand that tried to make that happen. That means yeah. that they're really aligning with the brand. Yeah, it is. It's funny. Cause if, you know, in past positions that I've been in a lot of times we were gathering, um, brand items like this to give away so that we could promote the brand better by us just putting it out there in the world and giving away free things. Um, in this case, it's, so fascinating and so um, humbling to see people wanting to buy those products mm-hmm. um, and support local. So, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it's humbling. It's so. Um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just really. I think it's humbling. It's encouraging because I think too. Like they're not just representing Little House as a store that they go buy things from, but also like what the store represents and like we're a local market predominantly full of local makers. So whether that's, you know, they're supporting us or they're supporting, you know, we have a lot of roasteries who make wonderful coffee or, you know, uh, folks who make great pasta or pasta sauces or jam or, I mean, you know, crackers or chocolate or ice cream sandwiches (laughs) or pizza. I think I saw a picture on the website of one of those. Yeah, like oh, Richmond yeah. is just—it's a really neat city. That is that Nightingale, you know, really, yeah. Nightingale. Oh yeah, Nightingale. That's yeah. It, funny. I, it's an aside. I love the package. Our number yeah, one the whole, seller. Yeah. <laughs> People come to us for ice cream sandwiches. That is our number one seller. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, so it's yeah. They um just as a plug, I don't want to take away from our business, but Nightingale actually just went nationwide because they are such a great product. So look for it. Look for it in your local stores. Wow, that's great. Strongly recommend it. (laughs) So the other thing I wrote down here was that, and I, I, first of all, I didn't realize, I think maybe you told me this, but for some reason I wasn't remembering well that the pattern, you know, that sort of artistic pattern that we used on the mug and the tote bag was something that a local artist had done. But what it points to is something that I feel like we've got to try to get better at, which is, I can't think of any other way to say it, but like, like an approach to imprinting. So it's, it's, it's like the product's the product, but equally as important, if not more important in a lot of cases, how you print it. And that is the area I think where there can be a lot of consideration given for the audience, you know? So take, um, you know, the same products we did, a coffee cup and a tote bag. Going into a small retail store targeting retail customers requires, I think, a more of a retail mindset when it comes to printing it, um, as opposed to maybe a more corporate mindset if it's being given away at a trade show or something else. And um, 
that's a part, I think, of the many things that we're trying to do better is talk to our customers kind of about how to think through that. And, you know, for example, one of the things I always tell customers with clothing, because they'll say, well, I want to do a piece of clothing to give to my customers, but I don't want the logo on the chest. And I said, well, here's generally how I think about clothing is if you think about people's relationship with an organization as a series of concentric circles, you've got like the owners, then you have like the employees, and then you have like, you know, and it just keeps going out. What you want is to move the logo further away with each, each concentric circle. So like, mm-hmm. you know, if an employee yeah. is wearing a shirt with a logo at a trade show, you want it right here. You know, if you're giving yeah. it to an to like maybe an employee to wear in nights and weekends, you might want to move it to the sleeve. If you're giving mm-hmm. it to a customer that you want to wear it, you might move it to the back locker tag or you might make it like a tone on tone to where it matches the garment so they don't feel like they're running around as a you know loud advertisement for you. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times people struggle with that because they feel like, well, I mean, people may not see the logo. And it's like, hang on. If you're giving it as a gift to a customer, that's where it has to be clarity on the objective. If you're giving it to a gift as a customer and they wear it, that's where you're investing is in that person. And they know who gave it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an off chance that somebody will see it and say, oh, where'd you get that? And it might spark a conversation. But clarity on objective and, and thinking through how you print things, I think, is also something, at least in our space, it's something where we can try to separate ourselves. And every now and then we get a customer come through and just do it for us, essentially. So uh, you, you helped us in that regard. But I like, you know, the products that were created. And I love, I've, I've found that I love these, like, because we have a couple patterns like that. I love creating brand assets like that that are kind of, what's the word I'm trying to, they're, they're very flexible in terms of being able to print on a lot of things and elevate the look. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've loved uh, the results. They, they're really cool mugs mm-hmm. and totes. And um, it's been, a, yeah, it's been cool to see the community embrace it. Like you said, the customers yeah. enjoy it. That's that's the point is we want the customer to enjoy it and love it. So, yeah. So we're coming down to home stretch here. We got a couple minutes left. The last thing I want to ask, just tell me, and again, I know you guys are got, got kind of full-time jobs. You're telling me a little bit about the fact that it's been cool to see your ability to elevate some people at the store. Tell me what the future looks like. I mean, in regards to the store, is it is it just that store and just just maintain and make it better? Is it is there ever a second or third Little House Green Grocery? Like, is there online? Like, give me a little bit of the glimpse of like, what's the vision for it in the future? Yeah, you know, when we came in, um, there was a lot of work that needed to be done. And so for the first year and a half of us owning the business, it kind of just felt like everything was on fire a little bit. (laughs) We were trying to figure out, like you were talking about brand, who are we? What are we trying to achieve here? How do we create this culture that we want to see? And I would say that our customers have seen some transition over the past couple of years. And I think over the last year, we've established ourselves um, in such a way that we are able to start really projecting that brand. And so I think at the moment, what that looks like for us is consistency. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to continue building deep and lasting relationships, not just finding the next quick ways to improve or evolve. Or I, I think for us, and I would be curious to hear what you would say, but I think that sitting in that and just letting those, the depths and the roots take hold and grow and, um, yeah, the stability, the ongoing relationship. I think that's where we're really hyper-focused at the moment. 
Um, we always have ideas. <laughs> We've got probably 10 ideas in the periphery that are always like, oh, but what if we did this? What if we offered this online service? And we'll tease some of those out occasionally. But I think at the moment, the big focus is um, remaining and growing at just as that steady presence within our community. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think when we came in, I mean, like anyone, we had grand ambitions. You know, it's like, you know, can we open you know, can we replicate this 15 times or whatever? I think to Megan's point after, I think one learning just, I think the complexities of the grocery business, you know, because you think about from the time, whether it's a local vendor or a national one, the time it takes to get like a product from wherever it is produced, whether it's, you know, an, an apple in an orchard or like, you know, a cracker to like, into our customers' hands, the number of people who touch it in, in the sense of like, whether it's, you know, the folks who are actually, you know, getting the produce to the ones who are actually delivering it on the truck, to the ones who receive it on our store, to then the ones who put it on the shelves, to then the customer who gets it. And there's just, it's a, a lot more complex than I think either one of us mentioned. So I think exactly to Megan's point, like just really kind of restoring that, order and really just like having that consistency has been something we've been really focused on. And I think we're, we're slowly getting to a point where we really feel very comfortable in just the day to day. So yeah, I think we're getting there. And I, I think if you said, you know, Hey, Megan and Patrick, do you guys want to open another one of these tomorrow? We would probably run in the other direction, but that may <laughs> not be true a few years from now. It's not because we don't love the business. I think it's because we really have entered the space of, no, we just, we want to, we want to do what we set out to do. And if we're going to achieve our goals, that means cultivating relationships. That's what it's always been about. So mm-hmm. that's where we're focused. Well, it sounds, it sounds to me like you're saying that you had to invest a lot to get it where it is. And right now you just want to let it run that way and get really good at it for a while before yeah. you look at Yeah. That's a good way of concisely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. No, no, I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, So normally this is the part where I say, hey, where can people connect with you? But they got to go to Richmond. So uh, the the website is, again, littlehousegreengrocery.com. And then if you find your way into Richmond, Richmond, Virginia, 1227 Bellevue Avenue, which again, you'll see that on the website. I know that I need to get there and check it out. And if anybody gets there, they're going to want to check it out for sure. And uh, we would love to have you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you both enough for doing this. I appreciate my, you know, Patrick, it's good to get to know you a little bit. I know we haven't spent a lot of time talking, but I've, I think the world of, of, of Megan and, and appreciate all the opportunities that she gave me directly and indirectly. And I'm happy to be a part, a, a small part of what you guys are doing with this, because I will say this, I, I do think that I am, even though I run a business that is probably a little anti, meaning like it's all, we ship stuff all over the country and it's not super localized. Um, at my core, I'm very much aligned with all the things that the store stands for. So mm-hmm. I want nothing but success for it. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, we appreciate that. All right. Well, if you get to Bell, or excuse me, if you get, oh yeah, Bellevue Avenue, if you get to Richmond, check it out. And uh, I'll look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Great. Thank you, Landon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brand Herald podcast. For more information, please visit thebrandherald.com. Also, please subscribe to our show and follow us on social media to stay up to date on all things branding. 
Thanks again for listening. 